Now imagine yourself in 8th century India, in the town of Varanasi to be exact. The mighty Ganges River flows through the town and temples adorn her banks. Great hand-carved steps lead right down into the river. Other areas have small beaches. Others yet are massive harbors with small barges and many smaller boats bobbing up and down all day long. Pilgrims are dipping their hands in the sacred water of the Ganges, a goddess in her own right, whose blessings relieve the sweltering heat of India and bring abundance and new life. The great market has small pathways going this way and that way. Silks and saris and bangles hang from the ceilings and stalls of vendors. And a smell that could only be described as a great cloud of spices mingles together with livestock and thousands of people passing through day after day. Statues and carvings of the gods and goddesses line the great river. They sit in the corners of merchant stalls, and their names are etched into temples in stone in the beautiful curves and lines of Prakrit, the ancestor language of Hindi. Now to say sauntering through 8th century Varanasi would be an experience is to put it lightly. It, is as, it was, as it is today, a cultural icon, a center of education, a pilgrimage site for the religious, and a place of great commerce. The Ganges would not be as polluted as it is today, though that doesn't stop people from bathing in the holy water still. Because of the famous temples whose stairs are etched right up to the banks of the river, called Ghats, that source of life, that source of trade, spiritual teachers would have been everywhere in the streets of Varanasi in the 8th century, just as they are today. One such teach teacher many, many years ago was gathered with his disciples one morning. This is a familiar story. We've heard many that begin this way. A teacher and his disciples gathered. Anyway, this teacher was strolling through the streets of Varanasi and they were just taking in the day. Nothing special about it. No immense wisdom was being dispensed, no frills, just a walk through town. As they left one of the smaller markets, they kept walking and came upon a peculiar sight. There, right before them, was an elderly man standing on his head against the outer wall of a school. The teacher and his disciples stopped and looked at the man. What a strange thing this was! The teacher was ready to ask the man, why are you standing on his head? But he didn't. The teacher and disciples leaned in and heard that the man was talking to himself, sometimes quietly, sometimes loudly, and it almost sounded as if he was angry. They listened, and then it became clear. The elderly man standing on his head, leaning against the wall of that school, was one of the instructors. And he was muttering, talking, sometimes shouting to himself over and over the rules of Sanskrit grammar. Over and over and over again. All of the declensions of Sanskrit, and there are many. All of the I and U stems. What are those, you ask? I don't know. All of the A stems, and there are more of those than the declensions. The R stems and compounds, the coordinative, the exocentric, the determinative. And let's not get started with the verb tenses. Over and over and over again. 
I'm not exactly selling learning Sanskrit, am I? This grammarian, this instructor, recited the rules on his head. Every time he'd mess up, he would angrily correct himself. The teacher and his disciples were, needless to say, bewildered by the sight. The teacher stepped closer to the grammarian and interrupted him. And the grammarian was not happy and started to protest this interruption. The teacher put his finger to his lips and just, shh. The grammarian waited and listened. The teacher spoke. He said, when your last breath arrives, the rules of grammar can do nothing. The teacher continued, on the spot, composing and singing 12 verses of his teachings for a grammarian standing on his head. At least how, that's how the legend goes in some tellings. The teacher that day was Adi Shankara, one of the greatest Hindu philosophers of not just the 8th century, but of all time. And the song he is said to have composed that day is called the Bhaja Govindam, which means simply, seek Govinda. Seek Vishnu. Seek God. The other common name for the song is, perhaps more striking, the Moha Mudgara, meaning the song of the hammer to shatter illusion. Adi Shankara sang that morning in the market to a man standing on his head the essence of his philosophy to the grammarian. He sang about letting go of all the things in one's life that do not draw us closer to what really matters. The legacy of Adi Shankara to Hinduism is one whose impact I personally cannot capture. But he would go on to codify his teachings into the largest path in modern-day Hinduism, called Vedanta. A path whose philosophy would go on to influence 19th century Unitarian thinkers like Ralph Waldo Emerson and William Ellery Channing. It is also a path that would be given to Americans on a deeper level at the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893 in Chicago, when Swami Vivekananda would introduce Hinduism, especially Vedanta, to the Western world. This disciple of Adi Shankara Vivekananda would also go on to find himself speaking from the pulpit of the Unitarian Church of Hinsdale, Illinois, where his followers still visit there and revere it as a sacred site. Now, for those of you that don't know me, that is the church I come out of. And many times as a kid, as that, when I was there as a youth, I recall Vedantists visiting to pray and revere our sanctuary. Now, to sum up, this path in Hinduism is surely to leave a lot out. I encourage you to dig deeper if you want. But basically, Vedanta, the philosophy of Adi Shankar, affirms three major things. Well, four major things. The oneness of everything. The divinity of the soul. The harmony of all religions. And God plays a big role in this philosophy. But it's a little different than the man in the sky. God, in the philosophy of Adi Shankara, is infinite existence. All that is, all that will be, you, me, everything. And our job in life is to reconnect with that infinite existence, to lose the self, to let go of what doesn't matter, and find infinite bliss. 
That sounds pretty easy, right? (laughs) That was the philosophy that was sung to that elderly grammarian standing on his head that day. This was the philosophy that Adi Shankara helped pull together to create the largest expression of Hinduism in the modern world. Adi Shankara would only live to be 32, disappearing into the Himalayan mountains and never being seen again. Now, I shared some of the basic connections between Unitarian Universalism and this branch of Hinduism because I honestly believe we have been influenced by it more than we admit. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously remarked, standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal beings circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. William Ellery Channing, the official founder of American Unitarianism, would say, The foundation of religion is devotion to goodness, and any religion that affirms goodness is true. And of course, our modern expression of Unitarian Universalism, our seventh principle, tells us that we affirm and promote the interdependent web of existence of which we are all a part. To me, it's pretty clear. We have bits and pieces of Adi Shankara in our tradition's history and current expression Now, I love this story of the grammarian, but you've heard me say I love a lot of stories over and over again. I love religious stories. They're great. But what would you say to a man you came upon standing on his head, shouting the rules of Sanskrit grammar to himself? Anyone from a large city knows that in 2019, you would just keep on going. (laughs) But this story has some truth yet to tell. We can all agree that grammar is important, as are many everyday things we need in order to live. Even sign language has a grammar. It's a necessary part of effective communication. But the point Adi Shankara was making is that grammar or anything mundane will not save us. It will not give anyone a lasting peace when death surely visits them. For Shankara, what would give peace was devotion to the ultimate reality often called Brahma, or in the case of this song, Govinda. The song that Shankara sang that day goes into various aspects of life, and it really is quite beautiful. But each verse ends with his original scolding of that grammarian. Verse 4 reads, The life of a person is as uncertain as raindrops trembling on a lotus leaf. Know that the whole world is consumed by disease, ego, and grief. Seek Govinda. Seek Govinda, you fool. When death comes, the rules of grammar will not save you. Over and over again, as if to mock the grammarian and his own repetition of the rules of Sanskrit. Seek Govinda, you fool. This story comes to us this morning in 2019 in an increasingly hectic chaotic, and demanding world. The advances of technology often don't give us time to adjust, and we find ourselves playing catch-up. Most of us have devices in our pockets that are far more powerful than the Apollo mission computers. We could all watch the Apollo missions on them right now if we wanted, or figure out what the weather is in India, or order Thai food or Indian food for after church, or all three at once. 
right? The world is smaller than ever as well. A leaf falls in Cambodia, and we hear about it in the news, let alone all of the real and devastating tragedies of the world. Breaking news, extra, extra, read all about it and see all about it 24-7. No time to reflect. And I know many of you will know what I'm talking about. You'll check social media, only to close it on your computer or phone, and then check it immediately again. Sometimes you don't even know why. You just do it. Hyperconnectivity is a thing. Now, the way I speak of technology would make you think that I don't like it, but I do. I have great hope for the advances we enjoy and are yet to discover, but I also believe there are things in modern American life that can be just as foolish as standing on one's head reciting the rules of Sanskrit grammar. Now, I know what those things are for me. For example, I was letting social media destroy my happiness and enjoyment of being your minister. And I don't mean what you are all posting, but other Unitarian Universalist ministers, you would think none of us enjoy our work, that we are all called to be miserable (laughs) 24-7, that there is nothing good to be found in the parish. We were all standing on our heads shouting about the smallest details, and I readily joined in. Yeah, ministry can be difficult. Any of our jobs and lives and mundane interactions can be difficult. But for me, I was wasting hours being caught up in other people's complaints. The words of Adi Shankar surely crossed my mind during this time. You fool! Seek what matters! Though it took a long time to hear them. This is where I think the power of this story can still be with us today. How are we being foolish and focusing on the things that don't matter in our lives? How are we wasting away the one life that we have? How are we reciting our own rules of grammar in the hopes they will save and sustain us? I can't answer this for you, but I would ask that you do look inward. Discern what matters to you and what might be keeping you from whatever that is. And this can seem like a monumental task, but here's what's at stake. The five most recorded regrets of the dying are as follows. I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I didn't work so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I stayed in touch with my friends and loved ones. I wish I'd let myself be happier. Those are the five most common regrets of the dying. That is what is at stake. Reason tells us that we have one assurance, here and now. And this is the crux of that story. Seek what matters. For Adi Shankara, that was Govinda, God, the ultimate reality. But I'm left wondering, what is it for Unitarian Universalists? What is the ultimate reality that we would seek? Could it be a life of worth and dignity? A life where we feel our interconnectedness with everything. A life where we are free to seek out truth and meaning. And a life where justice, compassion, and liberty are sought and practiced. I believe those questions are a good start for us. What is holding you back from such a life?
And depending on how we answer that question, we will both know what our work in justice must be, but also what we might need to get in order to thrive. Now, if you're a grammarian by chance this morning, and I know we have a couple in our congregation, and if I know you may truly find meaning in it, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Just don't stand on your head while you recite the rules. But for Shankara, it was less about being a grammarian and more about doing things out of love. You remember the grammarian was angrily shouting at himself and beating himself up over missing the rules. For Shankara, it was about doing things with love. For him, it was love of God. For Unitarian Universalists, it's love of humanity. And so in closing, words from Adi Shankara. Daylight and darkness, dusk and dawn, winter and springtime come and go. Time plays and life ebbs away, but the storm of desire never leaves. Seek Govinda, you fool. When death comes, the rules of grammar will not save you. May we all seek what matters, and may we work to empower a world where that is possible for all people. Blessed be. Amen. Amen.